Good morning, friends. Let me add my welcome. My name is Patrick. I'm a pastoral intern here. I hope you've had a full Thanksgiving weekend in every sense of the word. And I am grateful to share some of it with you today. You brag about what you value. You brag about what you value. That's what we're going to see in our text this morning. That's what we know to be true in our own lives. The things that we brag about are the things that we value highly. And when I'm talking about bragging, I'm not talking about the guy in your office or your school who's constantly gloating about how much better he is than everyone else. When I'm talking about bragging, I'm talking about the natural human inclination we all have to praise and to share the things that we find our value in. It's the trophy that you want to show off to your friends or the diploma that you proudly hang on your wall. It's the accomplishment that you put at the top of your resume. Or maybe it's something a little more obscure because we like to boast about all kinds of things, don't we? Maybe it's a picture of you with a celebrity you really like. Maybe it's pictures of you from college when you had really long, beautiful hair. It's just a theoretical example. Uh, I used to have hair that looked like Tyler Green's, and I'm jealous of him now. But it's not coming back. You can ask my wife. In our passage today, we're going to see two very odd brags, two very strange boasts. We'll talk about those things, but we're going to, talk, we're going to focus on the why behind them and what they lead to. And here's what we're going to see. Ultimately, in Christ, we have found the only thing worth boasting about. In Christ, we found the only thing worth boasting about. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18. The words will be on the screen behind me, but I'd encourage you to pull them up in your own Bible. Either that's a phone or your own physical copy. This is Galatians 6, 18, 11 to 18. Paul writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, these are your words, uh, written by your apostle, spoken to your people through all generations, including us. And so I pray that your spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you have for us today. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This is the last sermon in our series on the book of Galatians. 
Paul's written this fiery letter to a church that he's planted because they've been losing the plot of the gospel. Some false teachers have come in. They've been stirring up trouble and they've been leading this Galatian church down a dangerous path. They're trying to convince these young Christian converts that they're not really good with God. They're not safe yet. They're close. They've done a lot of good things. This whole believing in Jesus, that's right, that's good. Cleaning up your moral act, uh, becoming a more decent person, that's great. But there's still one more thing they have to do before they're right with God. They have to get circumcised to satisfy these false teachers. Circumcision was an Old Testament rite. It's what introduced you into the covenant community of God in the Old Testament. It marked you as one of God's people in the Old Testament. And for the past three months, we've been following Paul as he has debunked these false teachers in trying to assert that sign on New Testament believers, on Christians. He's done it in all sorts of different ways, and we've got one last way that Paul is debunking these false teachers. Uh, You might have noticed that verse 11 starts in an odd way. Um, Paul's asserting that he's writing with large letters. Are we to believe that he was not writing in large letters before that? Is he all caps now? Well, in a sense, yes, but I think what's going on here is that Paul's actually indicating uh, what was customary in that time. In Paul's day, it was ordinary to hire a professional scribe that you would dictate your letter to, and they would write it down for you. And sometimes the person who was dictated would take the pen at the very end of the letter to write a small little personal note, just a final signature and maybe a PS. And so here, Paul is saying, hey, what I'm writing about is coming straight from me. This is between me and you. And Paul takes this very personal. So let's see what Paul is taking personally here. First, we're going to look at the boast of the false teachers. And second, we'll look at Paul's boast. Let's first look at the false teacher's boast. This is in verses 12 to 13. Look there with me. If you've got a Bible on you, keep it open. Because we find this phrase in verse 12, to make a good showing in the flesh. That's a loaded phrase. Uh, This isn't merely literal. It is that because we're talking about a a physical procedure done to the body. But it's also far more. Paul has turned that, that word flesh into a technical term. It's talking about a whole way of life, a whole order of reality. It's the way one acts. It's the way one reasons. It's even the way the world itself operates according to the flesh. And the distinguishing marker of that dynamic, of that flesh, is that it is in opposition to God. To be in the flesh is to be apart from God. They are opposite and they are oppositional. These false teachers make a good showing in the flesh and were given the reason why. They're afraid of persecution. That's not an unfounded fear, right? At this time, the church was facing severe persecution. And most of that persecution came uh, from Jewish people who rejected Jesus as their Messiah. 
To them, it was outrageous to believe that their Messiah and Savior would die on a Roman cross. He was supposed to overthrow Rome. They also considered it offensive that non-ethnically and non-culturally Jewish people were considering themselves a part of the people of God. If you read the book of Acts, you see just how widespread this persecution is. Paul and his friends are constantly being harassed and even beaten and even murdered for their proclamation of the gospel. So Paul isn't dismissing the persecution that these Galatians are facing. He is, however, calling them out for how they respond to it. These false teachers, rather than sticking to their convictions, are compromising. And they're trying to find their confidence. They're boasting in outward appearances, in the flesh. And they're not even doing that good of a job at it. If you notice in verse 13, if we keep reading, we see that even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. In this letter, Paul's already addressed that these false teachers are hypocrites. They like uh, circumcision because it's an outward sign. It's an appearance that they can keep up. But when it comes to the actual heart of the law of loving God and neighbor, they're doing a lot worse job. And that brings us to this really odd boast in verse 13. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Did you follow all that? Did you follow the pronouns there? They are boasting in your flesh, the Galatians' flesh. Isn't that strange? They're not boasting in their own status of being circumcised. They're boasting in the fact that they've impressed and forced these other people to go through their own cultural marker. It's almost like they're holding up these Galatian Christians as a trophy and showing it to their Jewish persecutors as if to say, see, we're good with you guys. We're not breaking tradition. Actually, we're even better than you because we are converting Gentiles. So really, it's, it's not even about these Christians at all. Here, it's like Paul is saying, you want to know what motivates these false teachers? You, know, you want to know where these false teachers find their value? Their own reputation. You want to know why they do what they do? Not because they care about you, but because they care about themselves. They are driven by fear of pain and social pressure. It's obvious that that is wrong. Right? That is not a correct moral way to operate. And yet, even today, even to us, I think we all feel the temptation to operate according to the flesh like that. We're all naturally inclined to boast in the flesh. We want to prove ourselves by our own accomplishments. We want to find value in something that we can take credit for. We're also naturally inclined to seek self-preservation. Nobody wants to be the social outcast. Nobody wants to get canceled. We all want to fit in. But the problem is, when we try to find our confidence, when we boast in the flesh, that's a shaky confidence. The things that you take pride in today might be a source of shame tomorrow. The world's values are constantly shifting, and so it's a shaky foundation. But worse yet, 
When we follow the world's pattern of boasting in the flesh, we inevitably end up treating other people like objects. They're either enemies to be crushed or trophies to be won, all to prove our own egos. Friends, don't you want to be free from that twisted, fallen way of operating, that life according to the flesh? The good news is that you can be. Paul offers the freedom and the solution to that problem. And he does so by revealing what his boast is. So let's look at that. Let's look at Paul's boast. And we find it in verse 14. Paul says, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is boasting in the cross of Christ. Not even in Christ himself, but specifically the cross of Christ. The full person and work of what Jesus has done. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that this is the exact object of mockery that the persecutors were pointing at? But this is what Paul is saying. He says, you want to know what I find value in? The God who loved me so much, he gave his life for me. He was so passionate about rescuing me from death that he suffered the passion of the cross. My Lord's flesh was torn off his back. His hands and feet were pierced with nails. He was executed in my place so that I might live forever. That's what I will boast in. Paul doesn't need to prove his own worth. Jesus has proven it on the cross. And when we find our lives in Christ, we die to the world of the flesh. This is the great danger that Paul is warning the Galatians about. If they fall in line with the false teachers, they fall out of line with the only way out of that old corrupted world. In pleasing the crowds, they disown Christ. In seeking safety in Jewish tradition, they cut themselves off from God's true people. And in conforming to the way of this old world, they cannot share in the hope of the new one. This is exactly what Jesus says in the Gospels. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the Gospels will save it. Because the world has died to us and we to the world in the cross of Jesus, we anticipate a new world and share in a new life. That's what Paul hints at at verse 15, right? It's not about uncircumcision or circumcision. It's about a new creation. That's an important point throughout many of Paul's letters, that at Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that is the first act of a new creation, a new genesis. All things are being made new in Christ. Our bodies, our relationships, the way we live and think, even the world itself will be made new. And that new world is going to be characterized by peace and mercy. Really all the fruit of the Spirit, which we covered a couple weeks ago, but Paul specifically looks to peace and mercy here at the end of his letter. 
In verse 16, he says, As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is one last powerful rhetorical move that Paul makes. The false teachers have been grounding their whole argument and their egos in their status as Israelites, as people who are descended physically from Abraham. But Paul is saying, that's not what makes you God's people. What distinguishes those who are truly God's people is those who by faith trust in the cross of Christ, in who Jesus is and what he's done to save us from sin. If that's your conviction, if that's what you believe, then you are true Israel. Here he's contrasting Israel of the flesh being these false teachers and the Israel of God. If you are in Christ, you are true Israel. You are God's chosen, beloved people. I wish I could talk more about this. Paul goes on on this theme and, and many of the themes that we've talked about. If, if you want to know more about the new ethic that's been established by Paul, you can look at 1 Corinthians. If you want to look at the new world that we are destined for, you can find that in Romans 8. If you want to look at what it means to be the new Israel, you can find that in Romans 9 to 11. But we don't have time to do all of those things today. Let me finish with one closing thought that we find in verse 17. This is the way that Paul closes his letter, the last thing he gives before he gives his signature. He writes this, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks of Jesus on his body. These are literal scars, ugly, grotesque, gnarled. Paul is covered in them from head to toe as a result of the persecution that he has suffered for preaching the gospel. These scars would be a huge source of shame to anyone in this culture. Physically, because they're rough to look at. Paul actually himself admits this throughout his letters. He says, I am not easy on the eyes because I've been beaten to a pulp. Socially, he only got these scars from breaking the social order and facing the consequences. These marks mark him as an outcast. And religiously, in the eyes of the world, by the world's metric, clearly this guy cannot be right with God. If he's bringing this much pain and punishment against himself, he's got to be doing something wrong. But Paul doesn't see it that way. To Paul, these scars, these marks of Jesus are a source of boasting because they testify his union with Christ. There is nothing more valuable to him, nothing more precious. And here's what that means for us. As a Christian, you will inevitably experience shame from the world. You'll feel the pressure to hide your faith, to deny the cross of Jesus, to use other people to save your own skin, to conform to the way of the flesh. And when you refuse, the world will strike back 
you will bear the marks of Jesus in your own life. Every Christian in here has the marks of Jesus in their life. And what are they for you? What are your marks of Jesus? For many of us in America, they're not literal scars, but they're scars on our story. Maybe it's a lonely four years in high school because you, you refuse to go along with what your classmates are doing. Maybe it's a scarred reputation or a failed class because you admitted for cheating. You admitted cheating when you probably could have gotten away with it. Maybe it's losing a best friend for confronting them about their sin and inviting them into the faith. The world will see all of these marks of Jesus and mock you. Do not let them force you to hide your scars. Do not let the world trick you into covering them up. Here's what I find remarkable. We find several pictures in Scripture of the resurrected Jesus in his full glory. And he still bears the marks of the cross in his hands and his feet. They're no longer a source of pain or shame. They are a constant proclamation of his glorious love. Jesus wears his scars like a trophy. You boast in what you value. And Christ boasts in his cross because through it, he has overcome the world and won you to himself. Our scars are just the same. So wear them proudly. Share your story boldly. Your marks of Jesus are your glory and your witness. They're a precious gift because they are proof that you belong to Christ. You have been crucified with him and you now live in him. His love and his life are worth more than anything else in all the world. And because they are yours, you are destined for a world in which scars are beautiful and peace and mercy reign forever. If you are in Christ, as Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we look to Jesus, the one who was crucified on our behalf, and we cry, holy, holy, holy. You are worthy of all praise, Lord. You are the ultimate source of our value. Our very life is hidden in who you are and what you have done. And so we pray that you form us, you guard us from the world of the flesh, you encourage us and empower us to proclaim your gospel, not fearing persecution, not dreading the scars that will come, but even celebrating in them. For by them we share in your suffering that we might share in your glory. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your holy and matchless name. Amen.